say good morning, greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be together here today in this special way. We have a task to do today as a church, and that is to ordain a minister to help in the ministry of the church here, to add to our leadership team. It's a special time of blessing. And I think sometimes when we meet in a way that's not quite normal on a Sunday morning, it's, it's an, added, an added benefit to doing that. Brother Leon has planned this weekend, this ordination time, and he asked me to share something in relation to servants of the church, being servants in the church. It's addressed to us as a body. I've chosen to title the message this morning, A Product of God's Grace. And it's actually taken from a series that I'm doing through the book of 1 Corinthians, tied in well with plans there. A poor man was given a loaf of bread, story goes. He thanked the baker, but the baker said, don't thank me. Thank the miller who made the flour. So he thanked the miller. But the miller said, don't thank me. Thank the farmer who planted the wheat. So he thanked the farmer. But the farmer said, don't thank me. Thank the Lord. He gave the sunshine and rain and fertility to the soil, and that's why you have bread to eat. No matter how sophisticated we've become, we can't create. We can't do things on our own. That has to come from God. God gives us everything good. These are gifts from God. So it is with everything we are and have as Christians. We are God's servants who receive our abilities to serve in His kingdom by God's provision and grace. We are a product of God's grace. Everything I have, everything I am. I can claim credit for a lot of things, but nothing very worthwhile, nothing very lasting, nothing to be really proud of. Every good and every perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no Variableness, neither shadow of turning. I've seen and heard of some really terrible people. You have too. Sinners who have done every sin in the book. We heard the testimony of Tim Croft here recently. How he lived in the depth of sin and despair under Satan's grasp. My answer to this is... Sometimes it should always be there, but by the grace of God go I. I am a product of God's unmerited favor and God's enabling power. He's at work in me. He is doing a work in this church. And His grace is manifested in the building and maintenance of this local church. His work is ongoing here this weekend in this special time together. The context of the text that we're going to be looking at in 1 Corinthians has to do with the fledgling Corinthian church making comparisons between church leaders. They were making much of the talents and wisdom of some compared to others. They were choosing sides. And there was a party spirit going on. They were promoting the leader that they liked most and aligning with the one they considered to be the best teacher. Paul is again seeking to Fuse this party spirit by giving the credit for everything achieved in life to God. To move the focus 
back from man to God. God gives all good things. Everything good has its origin in God. His fingerprints are there. His grace is evidence. His working is good. He has done everything good. It's always good to focus on God. It always is. He is the giver of all good things. It helps us to be humble. It helps us to be aware. It helps us to submit to His working in our lives. I want to broaden the application of today's text to our church body here today. Not necessarily leaders, but to each one of us in this church body. What applies to church leadership applies also to each one of us in the church. Everything good in our lives, everything good that's happening in your life has its origin in God. He is the source. Stand back and add it up. There was this young man, as the story is told, of, that was feeling pretty proud of himself. He had just graduated from college. And he had taken his CPA exam and passed with flying colors. Now he was a full-fledged certified public accountant. And his father was an immigrant to this country and had now owned a little business. Many immigrants we know, that's what they do. Filled with self-importance, the young man began to criticize his father's way of keeping books. He said, Dad, you don't even know how much profit you've made over the years. Over here in this drawer are your accounts receivable. Over here are your receipts, and you keep all your money in the cash register. You don't have any idea how much money you've made. The father said, Son, when I came to this country, the only thing I owned was a pair of pants. Now your brother is a doctor, your sister is an art teacher, and you are a CPA. Your mother and I own our own home. We have a car. We own this little business. Now add that up, subtract the pants, and all the rest is profit. <laughs> we need to add it up. We sometimes take so much credit to ourselves for what we have done in our lives. We think, oh, we have, we have really, we've accomplished something. Add it all up. Subtract the pants, and that's where we are. They're all from, uh, it's all from God. Everything else is profit from God. It's all a product of God's grace. It's a little humbling, and it should be. Today, as we look at this text in 1 Corinthians, I want you to notice the irony in Paul's voice or in his writing. He wanted the young Corinthian church to sense the uselessness of evaluating people on the basis of their earthly wisdom. And he uses himself as an example later in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And that's the theme of the message this morning. It is the grace of God in our lives that's working. Our text this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. I invite you to turn there. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 to 16. And we'll be reading 
And let's stand together to read this morning the word. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 to 16. Notice especially verse 7. Verse 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as, as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. I'd like to, to focus back on verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You may be seated. Everything good that I have in my life and ministry is by the grace of God. I freely admit that. God has graciously shared these things with me. And I must use these gifts for His glory and the furtherance of His kingdom. There's absolutely no room for me to boast in myself or in any man. I am a product of God's grace. We all are. I'd like to begin then with Defining just a little bit what the grace of God is. Defining God's grace. Grace is, number one, God's unmerited favor. I think we all have heard that definition. God's unmerited favor. The favor that God puts on us that we did not merit. We did not deserve it. In the Bible, grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Like two heads on the same coin. Mercy is God withholding judgment. And grace is God giving me blessing that I did, I did not reserve. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Secondly, grace could also be defined as God's sufficiency or God's fullness in the life of the believer. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Another verse, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's going to be the focus somewhat this morning on that aspect of grace, is God's sufficiency in our lives, which is freely granted to us. Number three, grace is costly. You've heard the term cheap grace. 
And Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined that term, cheap grace. I don't know if you knew that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his writing The Cost of Discipleship, says the following. He says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace is not cheap. It's free to us, but it comes at great expense in God's behalf. It's very, very costly. It's very, very costly. We cannot minimize the cost of grace, even though it is freely given to us. Number four, in defining grace, I see the grace of God exhibited in the atonement of Christ. When we look at Christ on the cross, that is grace, uh, God's grace exhibited. In his death, he atoned for my sin. He brought salvation to me. It's unmerited. It's a free gift. It's something I don't deserve and cannot earn. And in the power of his resurrection, there is that power also to live a, a life for God. That is God's enabling power. That is that side of grace. Number five, I see God's grace exhibited in the lives of servants of God who have been bought with a tremendous price paid by the Son of God. This morning I'm going to be telling you that the grace of God is exhibited in our lives as a church. The grace of God comes down to us and it is showered freely on all of us. And we are to pass that grace on to those around us. We are a conduit for God's grace. Each one of us, we pass on the grace of God. We are stewards, the Bible says, of God's grace. God's grace is not for us to keep, but it is to pass on to others. We freely receive that grace. We go to God and we ask for grace, and that is our prayer should be every day. God, I need grace today. I need your grace. And then as we receive that grace, it is then to be passed on. Dr. Laura Schlesinger writes, I was out at my mother and father's house, a 70-mile round trip for my own, because my mother needed a little help. She needed a little help because my father, who has full-blown Alzheimer's, had taped duct tape all over three long windows in the bathroom so that the little people who haunt his days and nights wouldn't be able to look in. She needed a little help because her mother, my grandmother, who lives with them and who will be 102 in December, likes to snack in bed. And bugs were starting to show up in her room, which was generally a mess anyway. This is to say nothing of my mother's normal daily routine of cooking, cleaning, shopping, banking, medicating, driving, washing, ironing, not sleeping more than five or six hours a night due to dad's little people pounding on the windows, and other mortally tiring duties and distractions that would fell any lesser human being. My mother is 75 and has had a hip replaced. There were certainly other things I'd rather have been doing that day, but I love them dearly, so there I was, helping. I emptied and washed my grandmother's reeking chamber pot, scrubbed the bathroom floor where she regularly missed the toilet, took daddy shopping for a bath curtain, pulled off all the tape, 
hung the curtain, washed and hung our several loads of really stinky laundry, scrubbed and swept changing bedding and tablecloths, loaded the dishwasher, etc. Then weary and depressed, I sat down to dinner with my three darlings, and a peculiar thing happened. I was overcome with a feeling of immense gratitude. It occurred to me that it was my honor to give them that measly gift of a single day's servitude out of the so many thousands of such days my mother puts in single-handedly without a word of complaint. It was my privilege to empty their chamber pots and wash their dirty clothes. I felt an overwhelming sense of existing for a brief moment in a, in a glow of divine grace. I am decidedly not religious, but that day I realized that to serve others selflessly to the point of bone-tired without expectation of reward or recognition is the ultimate spiritual high. In a world where looking out for number one is a cultural icon, where a whole generation to its shame is dubbed the me generation, where millions can't decide where dear old dad, whether dear old dad is worth the extra 50 bucks a day in this nursing home or the other worse but cheaper one is enough. It is not surprising that so many were baffled by Mother Teresa's life in the sewers and leper colonies of the hell that is Calcutta. I am glad I got the tiniest glimpse into paradise where she must really have lived. This is the perspective of Dr. Laura Schlesinger, who is not a Christian. But as believers, this principle holds true for us. I'd like for you to visualize just a bit the grace of God is showered on us daily. God's grace comes from his throne on our lives. We are a product of that grace. And we, we are to pass that along and to impact others' lives by that grace. Our role as God's servants in this church is to go to the source of grace every day, say, God, I need your grace today. Please, I need your grace in my life. And then to receive that grace. That grace is free, but we must receive it. Not everybody receives that grace. People rebel against that grace. But we receive that grace, and then we allow that grace to pass through and bless the lives of others. I'd like to next look at some personal awareness of God's grace. What it is that God's grace does in my life. And I'm going to use an acronym today that I've, it's not original with me. I believe it's Rick Warren that used this acronym. And it spells the word shape, my shape. And it relates very well to the grace of God in my life, how God's grace is received into my life and how it manifests itself in my life. I want to go over all these, a number of points there. First of all, it's my spiritual gifts. The S stands for spiritual gifts. God has given every believer spiritual gifts for service. And it's by his grace. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, please. And follow along. Romans chapter 12. There are a couple of passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. And Romans 12 is one of those. I want to read from verses 3 to verse 8 of Romans chapter 12. Notice the word grace as it comes into this, this discussion with our gifts. 
Notice the word grace as we read through this passage. Where does grace come in? I'll begin reading in verse 3 of Romans 12. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think sober just judgment, according, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. These are gifts of God's grace to this church. And within this church, we have these gifts. These gifts that we just got done reading, they are in this church. And they are there by the grace of God. According to the grace that is given to you personally, you have this gift of God to use for the benefit of, of His church. God determines the type and the amount of this gift. He mentions prophecy. He mentions serving. He mentions teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, and helps. And other more dramatic gifts like healing and tongues. We should not compare our gifts with others and feel inferior or superior. Because God is the author and the giver. Verse 6 again, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. God wants us to use his gifts in this church. And that's part of my shape, is my spiritual gifts. Number two, or the H in, in shape, is my heart. That thing that I am passionate about, our interests, our hopes, our desires, the source of our motivation. God's grace is showered on us in giving us our desires and our interests. Mark 12 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. What it is that you care about, that is your heart. And God has given you that to use for His kingdom and His benefit. Thirdly, my abilities. The natural talents that you have, that you were born with. Talking. Some of you are good talkers. You have that gift, that natural ability. Some of you, it's physical ability. Some of you, it's brainstorming. You're really good at that. Some of you have an abundant amount of common sense. We need that. Some of you have the ability to make money. We need that in this church. All of our abilities are to be used for God's glory. That's the grace that God has given you, and your natural ability should be used for His glory. The P stands for personality. God has given you personality that's different, that's unique. You may be a thinker, or you may be a feeler. You may be an introvert or an extrovert. You may be choleric or sanguine or melancholy. God uses all these personalities in his church. Finally, my life experiences. 
God is using your life experience for the blessing of this church. What you've been through, your life experience. I chafe sometimes at the things that I've gone through, and I say, why? Why? Why did I have to go through that? Maybe it's a, a physical ailment that you have. Why, God? Why? Why? Why did I have to go through this? Why did... Why is my family like it is? My life experiences are to be used for God's glory. They're some of the grace that God showers down on us. My family experiences, my job experiences, my ministry experiences, pleasant experiences, painful experiences. God is using them to shape our lives. I want to read again that, that central verse in our text. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I think what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians is, it came from God. The thing that you have came from God. It came from God. Don't forget that. It came from God. That unique way that you are shaped came from God. God is uh, working that thing in your life. That unique thing that you may consider to be a disability. That is God's grace in your life. And it is to be used for his glory. How should we respond to the grace of God? My response to God's grace. This is where it's really important. Listen up. This is what we need to hear is my response to God's grace. You're hearing this morning about God's grace. God's word tells us about God's grace and it's freely showered down on us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But it is there. It is God's grace is freely showered on us. Now, how do we respond? That is the question. That is a question for, for me, for each one of us, is my response to the knowledge of God's grace and how God's grace is coming down on my life. I have four responses that I want to cover in order. The first one is that of gratitude. Perhaps the most important one is of gratitude. For God's grace. If I see a church. That is grateful for the grace of God. Working in our midst. That is a beautiful church. That is a church that is godly. Halton Davidson says. When a person works an eight hour day. And receives a fair day's pay. That is a wage. When a person competes and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service, that is an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's unmerited favor. That is what grace is all about. 
If we are Christians here, we have received the amazing gift of God's grace in his unmerited favor and the blessing of eternal life. I invite you to turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read a passage from there. Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. And I'd like you to notice the heart of the apostle as he writes to the Ephesians. The apostle Paul, I would like for you to discern his heart, the heart that is within him as he writes these words to the Ephesian church. Listen to the tone, listen to the gratitude that is there. Ephesians 2, begin reading in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How should we respond to the knowledge of God's grace? We respond with gratitude. I want to read you a little story that a man named Mark Bruner wrote. Mark Bruner shares a story about his son and a gift. He says, Many Christmases ago, I decided to build my son a barn in which he could put all his tractor and farm implement toys that he had collected over his young life. It was to be a barn unlike any barn I or he had ever seen. I wanted it to be detailed right down to the grooved floor and pulleys on the beams. It was to be large enough to be scale for the 118th scale tractors and implements that were to be placed in it. I constructed it in three sections, a ground floor, a drive-in, and a loft. It took months to build, as well as great secrecy, to conceal it from him. Finally, Christmas Eve came, and the barn was placed in Dan's room. We guided him down the hallway and ushered him into his room. When he saw the barn with all of his tractors and implements in place, he literally exploded in excitement. He ran all around the barn touching and examining every detail. Words tumbled out, but there, was, there were no sentences, just simply exclamations of excitement and joy. As the night wore on and Danny finally began to calm down a bit, his little four-year-old heart began to displace some of that enthusiasm with thankfulness. He couldn't thank me enough and felt that he just had to do something to merit such a valuable gift. I asked him to pick up the Christmas wrappings and he did so with gusto. 
Over the course of that holiday, little Danny became a slave to his gratitude and willingly volunteered to do many a grateful errand for his dad and mom. He had reached a level of gratitude where something just had to give, so he did. That, folks, is a picture of what we should be like when we sense the grace of God. Our lives need to be thankful lives, lives of gratitude for the grace of God. We must respond with gratitude like little Dan did when we see God's grace working in our lives. There is no other good response. We can't help it. Our response of gratitude attests to the enormity of God's grace. We respond with a desire to please the giver. We respond with joyful service. We don't win God's favor, but our life of grateful service is an indicator of the reality of our experience of God's grace. And an amen belongs there. Amen. Our lives are to be an indicator through our thankfulness for the grace of God. If you take nothing else away from the message, it should be that we will respond in gratitude to the grace of God that has been given to us. Number two, we respond with humility. Humility is the second response that is crying out to be made when we see God's grace showered on us. We must absolutely respond this way. Peter, writing his first epistle, chapter 5, says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a profound verse. We are asked to clothe ourselves with humility. God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. You need grace. I need grace. We all need grace. We need boatloads of grace. I know I do. I need grace every day. And if I'm proud and I'm thinking that I can do this on my, my own or if uh, the things that, I've, that I see around me there are a result of my own doing, if I'm proud, God's not going to give me that grace. He resists the proud, but he's going to give grace to the humble. We see what God's grace is and what it does in our lives. We want more of that grace. Pride is like a giant shutoff valve for God's grace. Pride turns it off. Instead of God showering us with his grace, he places himself in opposition to us. You cannot win with God in opposition to you. You cannot win as a proud person. Proud man with his outward show is a loser because he glorifies in himself and God resists him. David Huss, a quote, says, Like a criminal, our pride needs to be convicted. But also like a criminal, especially one with a good lawyer, it can be rather slippery and difficult to bring to justice. The difficulty with pride can be illustrated by a story from the life of the preacher Harry Ironside, when Harry was a young man, he realized he had a problem with pride. So he went to the elders of his church and asked him what he should do about it. 
they suggested that I make a big sign saying, repent or perish, and walk up and down the busiest street in Chicago all day long holding the sign. So Harry did what they suggested, and after enduring a whole day of mockery from the crowds, he thought to himself, hmm, I'm a cut above many. Not everybody would have done that. That is how deceitful pride is. Good understanding of God's grace and how dependent we are on it helps dissolve that deadly thing called pride. We look at God and recognize that I am what I am by the grace of God. Number three, we respond with submission. God gives his grace freely to all who will receive it. We can choose not to receive God's grace into our hearts and into our lives. We can reject God's grace, as so many have done. In order to receive God's abundant grace, we will need to submit to his working in and on us. God is wanting to work on us. We can resist on that working or we can submit to it. Dr. Ronald Meeks, a biblical studies teacher at Blue Mountain Community College in Blue Mountain, Mississippi writes, I have not had the opportunity to travel much, but several years ago my dad won a trip to Italy through his business and he asked me to go along. The highlight of the trip was visiting Florence, the great city of the Renaissance. One afternoon, out of curiosity, I went to a museum where, the, some, where some works of Michelangelo were displayed. As we viewed the half-finished sculpture of St. Matthew, the tour guide explained that this unfinished work was a prime example of Michelangelo's philosophy of art. He believed that in a stone there was a figure or statue waiting to be released. The work of the artist was, free to, the, was to free the statue from the stone. The statue was so lifelike that I thought any minute St. Matthew might just step out of that huge stone. As I looked at the half-finished statue, I could see that the artist had begun to free the statue, but had not been able to complete it. The tour guide went on to explain that Michelangelo had numerous works he never finished. As I thought about God's work in us, I realized that God has begun a work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. However, unlike Michelangelo, God does not stop working in our lives until he finishes what he intends to accomplish. According to Philippians 1.6, God will finish what he has started. Ultimately, God has no unfinished work of grace. God is working in each one of us. Will we submit to his working, to his chipping away at us, or will we resist? Finally, number four, we respond to the knowledge of God's grace with availability. And this, to me, is somewhat poignant this weekend because of the two couples, two families who have made themselves available for ministry in a special way in this church. I was really blessed this weekend as we went through this process of nominating people. I was impressed with you all as a congregation, the involvement that you had in this, the amount of you who came and, and, and gave a name. Those who didn't feel to give a name at least showed support. It was great. 
It was a real blessing to sit there and listen to that. And then the availability of these two couples is really a blessing to me to listen to them. I didn't get to sit in on both interviews. I sat down on one. First Peter 4 verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How will you respond to the grace of God? It is a very personal response. We are a product of God's grace, and it calls for a response in each one of us. We're going to call for a song, and then we'll turn the time back over to Brother Gerald.